Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Foam. I'm your co-host Richard, and here with me as usual my other co-hosts. Kevin. And Tyler. Patrick. And in this episode, um, we are actually returning from a long hiatus, and it's good to be back, everyone. Oh yeah. It's nice. Right. Christmas break, Christmas winter break, we're on. <laughs> An extended like two Christ- months. Christmas long. winter Valentine's break. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we were thinking about going into uh, St. Patrick's Day, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good though because I got a new job during that time. Oh yeah, you did get a new job, which for a time. I don't work at anymore. <laughs> I already quit. Oh damn, it's pretty yeah. liberating, isn't it? It was a dude. Oh my god, I just can't do the office job. Mm-hmm. Nope, not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine, yeah was nine to very, five blows, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Going from bartending to a nine to five is tough. <laughs> but it was. It was monkey off the back for sure. Okay. I felt like instantly a hundred times happier. How'd you how'd you quit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn, this is this is gonna be sound bad, but I quit like in person and then they like and like in person and over the phone and then they like tried to convince me and I was like, oh, all right, let me think about it. And then they had like the head like CEO dude call me or branch manager guy and he made me out feel all good about myself and shit, like desired, yada yada. Even though he's only talked to me for like five minutes in total. Before that. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it, all right, I'll try. I'll keep it going. And I had already like emailed HR my two weeks and everything. And then so I worked a few more days and it was just so shit after everything I just told him to and yeah. I was like or not shit, but just, like, I was just feeling the same way. So I was like, dude, fuck this. I can't do it. And I was, like, just stressing so hard. Like, I was, like, losing my mind. So I texted him. I texted him. <laughs> he texted him. Because I didn't want to do it in person or over the phone and get convinced again. Because I'm the type of person who just wants to make everyone feel good and, like, hate disappointing people. So I was like... It was kind of like texting somebody, and I just had to, like, ghost him for a little bit. And be like, yo, today... I basically... I said I was like, hey... T- I'm sorry, but today was my last day. Like, I'm done, essentially. Yeah. So I felt pretty bad about that, but now I feel great. Damn. And I got my old job back. Same schedule, good money. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> Way to go, Tyler. It's awesome. <laughs> Get that monkey off your back, you know, and just transition back to your, to your a better lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> your rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Bartending's fun. There's this, there, I just, you know, you got to forget about the stigma, the stigma against bartending. There's a stigma? I don't know. Yeah. See, I think it's just all in my head. It was all in my head. <laughs> you know what people say? Like, they're like, oh, you're a bartender. You got to get a real job. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking more like the drug and the, like CD under rolled ass. <laughs> <laughs> you're like cutting backroom deals. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, don't quit your jobs like that. If you can do it better than that, I should do it. But also, if you're losing your mind, do whatever you got to do. And yeah. I was losing my mind, so. So this is Tyler's how to not quit your how job? How to quit your job, but not quit your job. <laughs> if, you, if you get a phone call from the CEO, just screen it. Yeah, <laughs> if it the CEO really knows you, yeah. probably don't, you know. You gave them the Take emotion. for a grain of salt. You gave them the emotional roller coaster you were going through. Yeah. That's that's really the final revenge. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like if I was on my last legs and the CEO called me and be like, Yeah, I'd stay, but how much are you willing to pay me? <laughs> yeah. I want triple pay. 
<laughs> I don't want to work 10 yeah. hours a week. Because su- suddenly the stress is going to go down. You're like, oh, yeah, I can handle this. You know, extra $5. And then I want hour. the company to donate a million dollars to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you 10 shares. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway... Um, Patrick, you said you had something you wanted to talk about. Uh, we were going to update and talk about what we've been consuming lately. So, yeah, what have you been watching or what did you want to talk about? This may be my own harebrained theory, but uh, I recently watched Uncut Gems for the first time. Oh, yeah. And uh, I hadn't seen any of the Sad, Sad Feet Brothers. I know they did Good Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I heard heard about Uncut Gems and... I'd heard they have like a certain style or so. There's, I have a certain connotation about Hollywood where it's like it's dead. And it's in this death throes. It feels like there's no Matrixes anymore. There's no Shawshanks of like the 90s. They're like all independent now or it's just smaller scale films. But when this got like such a big release and I went and saw it, I was like, oh damn. So my little crazy theory was I really like their film style, I liked mm-hmm. Uncut Gems. But they feel like... But Adam Sandler sucks, dude. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's actually... I forgot it was Adam Sandler. Yeah. That's like the biggest accomplishment I could think. Mm-hmm. I stopped seeing Waterboy and I saw <laughs> whatever his name was in the film. I forget. But they have like a seedy New York... It feels like a Scorsese style. Mm-hmm. And my only like thing I was wondering... I was like, what do you guys think? Like, Are they going to... Are they going to transcend that? I think it's working for him right now. Why change anything? Mm-hmm. But oh, I'm, I would, I hope that they do eventually, because I got I got the same vibes with Good Time when I first watched it, and I think it was for like the media aesthetics class. I like wrote an essay on it, and dude, like I got so inflamed about it because it was set up to be like this very unique story, and it got me in the beginning like with the relationship between the two brothers and stuff. And then when it got to the halfway point, it just fell by the way, like the entire story and relationships kind of fell by the wayside to go into this other, uh, territory where it seemed like it was all just style over substance. And it was very much in the vein of like Scorsese, like from the very beginning and uncut gems is even more into that. And, they got even more success with Uncut Gems than they did with Good Time. And and also the fact that, like, Scorsese was supposed to produce um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uncut Gems, too. Mm-hmm. And they, like, specifically, like, went after him to, like, produce it and stuff. And I think it kind of... I think it might have turned into something else. But, yeah, I, I can definitely see what you're getting at with it. Because Scorsese's films that, like, transcend, in my mind, they're Paul Schrader scripts, aren't they? Like, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of his stuff is, like, Mean Streets. And, like, isn't it, like, two or three other mob movies centralized on the East Coast? Yeah, like, Casino, um, Goodfellas. <laughs> the Departed? Did he do The Departed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. Did, yeah. Where, like, yeah, there's, like, a... Scorsese was able to transcend it. Yeah, and the Irishman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got like five mob movies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, Scorsese, Scorsese had Paul Schrader to transcend that with like two or three amazing, amazing films. And then his own stylistic films. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if the Sadfree brothers have that Paul Schrader figure. Or if like they'll ever meet. 
that was my little like late night thing where I was just sitting and thinking about the movie in bed. Yeah. Man, that's a really good point, though. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of um, like what Mark Frost did for David Lynch with Twin Peaks. He like categorized everything and condensed it into a way that made it what it was. And very much like the same with Paul Schrader in those movies. Wow, that's a that's a very interesting thought. That mm. I wonder if they do have a figure like that. I mean, I know they have a lot of recurring collaborators. Yeah. Yeah, because it seems right now they're just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. They're like our tour directors. Like they're going to stay within that realm. Like I watched Heaven Knows What and Good Time and they all stay within that same East Coast, like New York area. And obviously I feel like they will eventually when they get more money for their films. It's like Richard Linklater, he does all his films in like what, Texas? Like all his films, like uh, what Boyhood, uh, well, except for like the Before Trilogy, but you know, a lot of his films take place generally in like, like he did what Dazed and Confused. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like some director, like even uh, what's his name, M Night Shyamalan, like he does his films in Philadelphia. You know, like that's kind of where they're from, and that's where they're comfortable staying in. So. We'll see. It depends uh, who their collaborators are going to be next. Oh, yeah. so. I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think, Tyler? Um, sorry, Mac is distracting me. Late film feet Mac. Um, but I don't know. I like like Uncut Gems and Good Time. I, a Good Time I wasn't a huge fan of, but I hear everyone always say that like their movies encapsulate like having anxiety, and I feel like that's kind of true. But I don't know. I really liked Uncut Gems, and I feel like they will probably, like, I don't know. Do they already have another film they're working on? Do you, do any of you guys know? I believe so. I forgot. Are they, aren't they doing something with HBO? Something like that? I feel like I've heard something like that. But I think, yeah, they're just going to start getting more and more money, and I think that, I've, I feel like I'd rather have them stay in the realm that they're in rather than, like, Hollywood or some like, unless it's, like, I guess, yeah, like a, a Paul Schrader figure to go along with them that'd be cool but I don't know I can see it going the, op- the wrong way too yeah, and then like yeah. you know going to the dark side and not making as good of films that's where my pessimism comes in a bit with like I really like their style and their film or at least Uncut Gems and I want them to keep doing that but like I wonder if they can find that person still or if it would all be written by committee yeah like Hollywood stuff mm-hmm. you gotta have you gotta hit these points and these beats and we can't have a taxi driver where like Travis Bickle's, like, threatening to kill a politician and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if anyone has, like, a chance to transcend like that, it would be them or, like, a few other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they just need a handful of films under their belt before they, you know, start... Yeah, I mean, Martin Scorsese, I mean, he started doing... Yeah, The Departed and Wolf of Wall Street and all these other oh, films, yeah. right? And the- I forgot he did Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. too. And he also did that kids movie... Um, what it's called with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen um, he did a kids film like about a decade ago it had like Chloe Grace Moretz and stuff what the hell yeah Sasha he, Baron Cohen yeah he did like a one off like kids film I can't think of a kids film he's in <laughs> yeah I have no idea what movie oh, yeah, he was in Hugo was it Hugo yeah, yeah Hugo. Hugo. oh yes yeah that his love letter to cinema mm-hmm 
George George Melies or something. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about Hugo completely. Yeah, he, he can diversify right? uh, yeah, like, every once in, once in a blue moon. <laughs> like I'm doing hand gestures like Hugo, taxi driver. <laughs> I know it got like a pity Oscar. I think for like CG or something. Maybe yeah. It looks like uh, the Safety Brothers are um, working on a TV project with Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder. What the oh. Yeah, for uh, Showtime, and it's being described as a genre-bending scripted comedy that explores how an alleged curse disturbs the relationship of a newly married couple as they try to conceive a child while while co-starring on their problematic new HGTV show. So maybe oh. they are diversifying. <laughs> it can either be amazing or horrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nathan Fielder is on the team. Yeah. But it could be horrible in like an art way. Like he can be making it horrible for his own meaning. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if he's he's on it to is he starring or is he producing? Or? Oh, um, because if he's involved in the project, it means he believes in something that they're doing. So I'm sure he wouldn't get involved if he didn't think it was going to be good, right? I mean, like a Nathan for you, like scheme of like <laughs> it's not loved by audiences, but like that's part of the message. It's mm-hmm. part of the meaning. Damn. Yeah, uh, he's going to be starring in it, Nathan Fielder and wow, Stone. interesting. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Nathan for you, and his producing work with, um, oh gosh, it was that one most recent HBO show. You're talking about This Is America? Uh, oh yeah, he, he produced that one mm-hmm. as well. That one was great. Yeah, I love that show. Like, I love commentary like that. Um, let me see what this one was called. But yeah, while he's doing that, have you guys seen anything new? Um, new releases or just like in general? Anything you want to talk about? I was, I was already telling you guys, I've been slacking like watching mm-hmm. movies. I watched Promising Young Woman and Minari recently. The past, those are the two films that came out like this year. Uh, I liked Promising Young Woman, it's a good movie. Uh, it has Carrie Mulligan in it. She plays like this, it's a revenge film, so it's one of those movies where like she, you know, she pretends to be drunk and have guys pick her up and then she teaches them a lesson when they try to take advantage of her. So it's that kind of film. Um, yeah, man, the, yeah, that movie's really good. I, I like that movie. It's not for everybody though. I feel like when you get to the final act and you're like, oh shit, this is where it goes. And I feel like some people either hate it or love it, so... Um, and it has a uh, Christopher Mintz-Plaz. Is that how you say his name? He, uh, he played McLovin in Superbad, and he plays oh. one of the creepy guys that try to pick her up. So it's like really <laughs> good, like cameo or like supporting role from him. Uh, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, and I watched Minari. That's a good film. Um, that's going to be up for I believe it's going to be up for Oscars this year later. Um, Oh, and I watched, uh, you recommended Peep Show, and I watched the first few episodes. I watched that on Hulu. Um, it's really good. I actually like it so far. Um, <laughs> it's like a 2003 comedy series um, in the perspective of, like, these two roommates. And, yeah, it's just like a day in the life, and you get their inner monologues of like how they go about their day and one guy's like a musician who is like unemployed <laughs> and um yeah it's really good it's like reminds me a bit of it's always sunny like you mentioned uh to me before 
um, yeah, they're really like terrible people, <laughs> and, I, and I love watching people make bad decisions and be really terrible. And you get their inner monologues while it's happening, and like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pick up the cereal, and oh my life sucks, and oh, I'm, I'm in a depressive state. Oh, like I'm gonna pick this thing up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the one where um, his boss comes into the, where where Mark's new boss comes? I know, not, I don't think. No, oh, no, I only yeah. watched three episodes so far. When Alan so. Johnson gets into the mix, okay. that's when it only gets better from there. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I watched that, and then I. The last thing I want to talk about is uh, I watched Lady Vengeance. Nice. Yeah, the sympathy for La- or it's also known as Sympathy for Lady Vengeance by Park Chan Wook. He best known for like the old boy and The Handmaiden. Um, yeah, I finished that last night after I watched Under the Silver Lake, which we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah, I'm trying to like get into these like revenge movies okay. uh, with female-led uh, actresses. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to like get into that scope and like you know feel that out and see what else is out there beyond I, like the John Bush of the world. I've heard yeah. that there's one called uh, Nikita. <laughs> Nikita by... Um, is it Luke Besson? Oh, I yeah, think I that, that might be. I, I haven't seen it, but I remember like the poster art for it. I've always wanted to see it because I love the professional, and I feel like that's kind of in the same vein as it. Oh, okay, nineteen ninety. But, but nice. Korean, like I get, there was a period of time where I was deep into Korean vengeance movies, like, like especially with the Vengeance trilogy, like mm. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, like completely blew me away. And then uh, Lady Vengeance, the shift that happens yeah. in the style, yeah. everything, that, oh. that like left a huge imprint on me. And there's like that one shot where, where she's in the snow, mm-hmm. and like you just, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to like give too much away. Yeah, like, Park, yeah. <laughs> Park Chan-wook is one of the best directors working today. Like the, f- the fact that that movie came out in 2005, and it still resonates, it still has that style that is... So good. Like, you can watch it in any time period. You can watch it 10 years from now, and it still works. Um, man, I just love how dark, but, like, subtly comedic some of his stuff is. It's just like, it's like, what? They just said that? That's, like, really off the wall and eccentric. Like, he still has that sense of humor in all his films. So, yeah. I feel, like, embarrassed to say I've never seen Old Boy. Oh, dude... Don't even feel embarrassed about it. Like I'm, I'm jealous of you because you get to watch it for the first time. Yeah, if you're gonna get into a South Korean revenge film, Old Boy is the perfect film to get in, and and to get into Park Chan Wook's filmography. I'd I'd say Old Boy is his best. Seems like they're the best at that genre for sure. Yeah, there's like another one called I Saw the Devil, which also has uh, the main actor. Yeah, yeah, Choi Min's. I think I think so, yeah. but yeah, that that one was just straight up dark. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was it was good when I watched. It. I think you lent me it, but there's like looking back, there's like some like comedic aspects that weren't supposed to be comedic. It was supposed to be drama, mm-hmm. like a head falls out of a box in a scene, and like the music swelling. Oh, I know but what you're like, talking about. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. pretty comical in hindsight. Hold <laughs> like, on, I'm away from the movie. I can look back at that scene. Like, oh, that's pretty. 
not real? <laughs> I don't think yeah. they'd carry a head in a box like that away from a crime scene. <laughs> now some people that are hearing that are like, all right, I'm not really not watching that movie. Oh, it's only the first two minutes of oh, the film. They're definitely not watching that movie. <laughs> the opening credits of that movie, like always stand out to me like i think it's they're just driving on like a lone dark yeah. snowy highway mm-hmm. man i don't know why there's just so many images from those movies that like stick with me and although i don't remember too much of the details i remember a lot of just the emotive experience of it all it's crazy i wonder if there's a psychological permeation of my, my cousin was deployed there in south korea and maybe it's because he was on the base, but he's like, there's like a weird pseudo war. There's no like frontal war or war still happening, but there's still like, it's very present in people's minds that like, like suicide squads may come from this Northern Korea mm-hmm. down in the Southern Korea with the goal of just killing as many government officials before the fall of their, whatever, mm-hmm. if it ever did escalate to full war. And so, yeah, it's like, I wonder if that m- metamorphosizes in the psychology of the whole culture i think that's a good point because i think park chan wook made a film that might be about what you're talking about called joint security area oh yeah yeah something about like something that happened between the border of north and south korea some like crime that happened mm-hmm. um yeah like some soldiers like got killed or something and dmz yeah. uh what else you guys been watching um i've been on a huge Rainer Werner Fassbender kick. I was telling Pat, like, I got super into this one miniseries he made called Berlin Alexanderplatz. And it's about this character named uh, Franz Biberkopf, who is one of the worst characters I've ever come across. Like, he's just an awful, terrible human being. And. Wait, he's from. Isn't he in, like, in. Isn't he just a German in 19. 19- 38 Germany? What could be so wrong with that? <laughs> so it takes place during the Weimar era, which is like between World War One and Two, And so like Germany is just, it's just poverty. It just decimated the entire country. And there's like hundreds of thousands of people out of work. And he's just getting out of prison after four years for murdering his girlfriend mm-hmm. in cold blood. And we... So we start off with him being reintroduced back into this world that changed so drastically in four years. So he's experienced like the shock of it all. And from that point on, he decides that he wants to become a better person, like a more honest soul. And it's, (laughs) it's just a huge spectrum of humanity. Like you get to see him in some of his lowest and I mean lowest moments. And then it only gets worse from there. <laughs> and then um, there are some brief moments of like optimism in there as well. Like some of the sweetest moments. And when the music hits, it just, oh, it's just, mwah. and then, uh, <laughs> but, um, and then the characters in it too. Like there's this one guy named uh, Ryan, Reinhold. Or, yeah, I think his name is Reinhold. And he is, I've never seen any other character portray like death and like an evil just person better than he has and i don't know and it's like a 13 hour mini series and then there's like an epilogue where it just goes full stream of consciousness for like a full-on like for like two hours and it's just all about like 
how the system's like rigged against you. Uh, jobs are just basically the new form of slavery, and it's just like showing the failings of capitalism and all of these things. And this was shot in 1980, wow. <laughs> which is absolutely Shit. insane. And then, um, so I, I finished that, and then I'm on to his other thing that he made called um, uh, World on a Wire, which my friend Ryan put me on. And it has... Like, it's lump. I, I view it as, like, being wedged in between Solaris and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it just creates, like, one of the perfect dystopian worlds. Like, even better than Black Mirror could ever do. Wow. Which, and this was also, like, back in that same time period. And it's like, how the, like, this guy made, like, over 30 movies by the time he made Berlin Alexander Platz. <laughs> and he was only 30-something, like, 35 or, like, something like that. And then just his output was absolutely insane. And he has like a way of making viewers feel or like basically like scooping out like all of their comfort and like tossing it onto the table and like smearing it everywhere. And then, and then being like, look at it, look at it. (laughs) But it's like, it's not like revolting or anything. Like it's a very good way of like stirring up the, like the, the algae and murk from beneath in order to like shed, shed light on it. And then you end up walking away from the experience with just so much thought provoking content. It's very, it's very thought provoking. I love it. But yeah, that's what I've been watching. That sounds dope. That it kind of reminds me of Mr. Robot. Like you would love it yeah. if you, yeah, What's cause it on? it's on criterion. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think you guys have my mm-hmm. login. if you don't, yeah. And no, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to, Oh, speaking of which, Pat, you had a really good idea about using Discord. Oh yeah, I uh, I've been watching movies with someone, and I bought the Discord for a year, like whatever membership, the premium something. But it allows me to stream 60 frames, 1080p, which is like not allowed normally. You get 720, I think is the limit. Huh. And I was thinking we could just start hosting a movie night for the films of the following podcast week that'd be cool wouldn't that be dope yeah Yeah. Yeah. like a scheduled yeah like every certain weekday we'll have an instagram post of like if we're on the discord hop on at six pacific time and we're gonna play the movie once oh that'd be awesome we should do that for sure i really want to do that sounds like so much fun So when you do that, like, are you actually also streaming the movie? Like, you can watch the movie on the Discord, or we have to watch the movie separately? Or how does that work? Or? You can watch it on the Discord. Yeah, you're watching it through my VLC player, which is oh, streaming okay. yeah. to whoever clicks on my stream. Okay, nice. Yeah, I, I feel like that would be really helpful for like some of the movies. Like, for instance, um, God, like Confessions. Like that yeah, movie isn't anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people can't find. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's a great idea. Me and my buddies do that all the time. We like watch like Kings games or whatever. Like some people oh, have it, and then right. just everyone can watch the game. That's yeah. so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to download a bunch of apps to watch Lady Vengeance. I had downloaded like Movie and, and Tubi and all these other like random apps, and then I had to like try to stream it on my TV, and it wasn't working. I'm like, oh, you know, it was so difficult to do. <laughs> But anyway, um, so we all updated. Tyler, did you want to mention anything or talk about anything you've been watching? Or oh man, I've been. I was like, dude, with that job too. I was like so stressed out that I like couldn't even concentrate on anything. Oh. But I started watching um, 
I started watching Attack on Titan. Oh. What? <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty dope. That's pretty fucking cool. Haven't you been wanting to get into anime like, yeah. recently? Mm-hmm. That's cool. So I finally, like, uh, my roommate Trey, he has his Funimation login, so I got his Funimation, so I'm watching Oh, it. you are set for life. Yep. Like, <laughs> I got like three other shows on a watch. <laughs> Tyler, let's make a B, a B show. <laughs> just just weave out. Just yeah. anime out, man. We were talking about it a little bit. Um, yeah, so I'm only on like episode... 16 or something. Oh, wow. So I still have a lot left to go. It's pretty dope. What do you think about the that first episode? Dude, it, that's like one of the best starts to a show I've ever watched. The first <laughs> episode, but the second episode is great. Like, they, yeah, they just set it up that first episode, and that second episode is just fucking brutal. So good. I've only gone through six like, episodes. That's a great yeah. hook. That gets you hooked. You've only seen six episodes? Mm-hmm. And then someone spoiled it for me, so I took a break, and then I had oh, really? like watched it since. So I only got to the six episode mark, and then that big thing happens, mm-hmm. and then did someone they spoil like, the it. whole show or like what happens? Like, uh, no, 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 not the whole. Sh- I mean, they spoiled what happens after that. I think. I don't even think and that's I, that big of a spoiler. That's what I, that's what yeah. everyone kept saying to me, and I'm like, I'm just upset. I, I, yeah. I just I reacted emotionally because I thought, okay, this is great. I I love the subversion, and I love that I'm. I love that that happened, uh, yeah. and I want that to be permanent. And it it's wasn't. Like Dude, I wanted it permanent. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, okay, I'll give it another so chance. I'll, I'll give it another chance. I'll, I will. Since Tyler's on it, I should give it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll spoil it right here. No, don't please. God, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm only on six episodes. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke. I think it gets bad. Oh God, no. <laughs> Don't Game of Thrones this no. TV show. <laughs> just an elitist. Don't listen to me. <laughs> like sitting atop like berserk, like no, monster. Yeah. I'm sitting like, there with monster up. and 20th century boys, <laughs> reading both at the same time in each hand. <laughs> <laughs> Two eyes split apart. Yeah, like. Legend of Galactic Heroes is on the TV. 100, 120 episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that far away from that happening. <laughs> just watch two different things at once. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were gonna say like becoming a an, an exclusively anime only podcast. Oh, I got. I got a lot of picks coming. Don't worry. <laughs> hey, I'd be down for that. <laughs> like, sign me up. Yeah. yeah, we could definitely use more anime and anime features. I think Ghost in the Shell is the only one we have so far. Yeah, right? I, I, mean, I was considering it soon too. So. I gotta take a break. I've been in Asia for like ninety percent of my picks. I'm going U.S. probably. <clears throat> speaking of U.S., yeah. With that being said, Tyler, you picked the movie for our twenty-fifth episode. Um, you picked Under the Silver Lake, directed by David Robert Mitchell. So, do you want to talk about why you picked this movie? Yeah, um, I watched it a while ago. Like, I would always wanted to watch it, too, because just watching the preview, it looked interesting. And then I didn't even... I just watched it as, like, a movie when I turned it on just to, like, be entertained by it. I didn't really think it was going to be, like, a podcast material movie. But then there's just so much shit that happens and goes on in this movie. I was like... It just felt like a really fun movie to talk about. And I really enjoyed it. Um, It's kind of hard to... I don't know get like a full grasp on the movie but i feel like there's just so many different like easter eggs conspiracies like style 
the music, everything. There's so much stuff you could talk about within this movie. I feel like you could just have conversations for mm-hmm. hours about it. Especially with like the conspiracy, Hollywood elite shit, all that goes on within it. Um, after watching it, I was like, oh, this would be hella fun to talk about on the podcast. And then, yeah, I just rewatched it last. It's like for sure just a, a good, like, rewatchable movie, too, I feel like, to where you always just catch something, mm-hmm. catch something different. Definitely. Um, for the our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, um, under the silver leg, I'm going to read a quick synopsis from Letterboxd. Um, a young and disenchanted Sam meets a mysterious and beautiful woman who's swimming in his building's pool one night. When she suddenly vanishes the next morning, Sam embarks on a surreal quest across Los Angeles to decode the secret behind her disappearance, leading him into the murkiest depths of mystery, scandal, and conspiracy. Welcome to Purgatory. Good to be here. Needed some time to think about things. Use it wisely. All these holy trinities of women thriving like plants under the heat of the city's male gaze. Three, 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 three. Cameras cannot see. Yeah, and that, I mean, wow, a lot happens. <laughs> like, there's a way more beyond a synopsis that happens in the movie. Well, uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys think of it? Hmm. I already watched it. Like you, Tyler, I watched it twice, so I wanted to know. Okay, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm geared up. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, this is our 25th episode. It's probably the 24th one I've brought up Epstein in. <laughs> but I love, I love the conspiracy stuff. Uh, my only issues, I do have, I have a lot of issues with this film. And they're centered around the philosophy of the film and the conspiracies of the film and just the general, I'm trying to articulate this. It felt like it lacked confidence. It felt like it's, and same with the philosophy of it, like what it's trying to communicate. I felt like that wasn't flushed out. I felt like a lot wasn't flushed out. I know they did multiple changes, like. I think Richie told me earlier that they were trying to find an audience and it still feels like somehow they played it safe and didn't like just grab an audience or just push it hard enough. And it just feels like, yeah, just it's lacking confidence. Like uh, there's a lot of references and Easter eggs, which are nice, but Mm -hmm. they like lean on that way too much. It feels like. Yeah. Or like, I feel like they kind of like spoon feed a lot of, uh, like ideals and like the philosophy they just like outright say it rather than kind of making you work for it and they have it built in like uh, this isn't a spoiler I'll try to dance around it but there's Kurt Cobain like imagery and references mm-hmm. and he there's there's a conspiracy around him as well as like a artist philosophical a philosophy to his artistic expression that was corrupted by capital that he was like very vocal about mm-hmm. while he was alive as well as the conspiracy on his death. And the film, like, uses that as a reference point. But, like, it doesn't push anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just... And, in fact, it feels like it undercuts the reality that we are all all aware of of Kurt Cobain's life mm-hmm. with stuff happening in the film where it's like... Like, we all kind of knew this already. It's not, like, revolutionary. It's not, like... It's not, like, eyes wide shut. Like, pulling our eyes open. It's not a Mulholland Drive, like, totally experience... 
a unique experience with like undertones of conspiracy mm-hmm. and all the other stuff. It just feels like it was blacking something harshly. And uh, that's probably my core thoughts until we go into spoilers. I think um, going into it, I, I went in completely cold. I, I saw some poster imagery, saw a few shots from it. Um, I think way back when I saw a, a teaser for it, but I didn't remember too much about it. So I just went into it cold. And like right off the bat, it was like hit up or hit with like influences. Um, going, I mean, that was already mentioned with like Hitchcock and countless others. Like I, I immediately, I, I enjoyed like what, um, what he was, what the director was doing with this story. He was creating like a modern day neo-noir, but like, mm-hmm. like up to like, you can make this yesterday and it would be like the most up-to-date version of a neo-noir in terms of our culture in that area of Los Angeles. And it reminded me a lot of, um, inherent vice as well. Um, just basically reintroducing the cold, I mean, reintroducing the, the hard concepts of noir in general and a lot of the tropes, but just pasting it into another section of history. And it was really interesting to see how, like, the Bogart character translated into the character, or into Sam, mm-hmm. who is just, like, the complete, like, just a huge scumbag. Like, yeah. <laughs> like no, like, the entire time I was watching it, I was like, I never ever want to be like this guy like <laughs> it's a it's a comedy so like you try to take it with a grain of salt but yeah like, the, like you said the bogart character and like in the first 30 minutes he's like full fisting punching a 12 year old maybe yeah. <laughs> oh yeah like, i love that learn scene. you it's like okay <laughs> big man i guess <laughs> but but you really get the films where like where that where you wanted to do that Oh yeah, in the movie it actually happens. <laughs> yeah, but then when it happens, you're like, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm glad I never followed that like primal instinct. <laughs> like that's why we have like a, the super ego checklist because we wouldn't be around doing that. And it wouldn't be good. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, seeing all of these these what ifs uh, play out on screen, and also seeing like his modern day detective work, which like one of the scenes involves him like masturbating over like like a magazine and like just trying to be like oh how does this all connect up and everything and it's like oh is this like what is this like the modern day version of what bogart would do where he's just like drinking like some whiskey and like kicking back in his chair smoking a cigarette but it's like oh so this is how depraved society has become yeah it does touch on the postmodern condition but like its final message is very not revolutionary it's very just i we'll get to it but yeah you i forgot the bitch that completely yeah he's very postmodern. he's very like yeah like you said just living with no aim oh yeah and then we're, we're kind of just jumping into a perspective uh a person who's like on the the lowest of the low you know like he's getting evicted from where he's living he's like pretty much down almost being homeless blatantly to his mom <laughs> yeah but- but I, I have a question though. Is it intentional or not? Like, is it a prison of his own making, or was he, or does he just find himself in it? I think it's. A, I, I think, think it's for the most making. part, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of it is his own making, but it's also weird. I have some, yeah, some theories for spoilers too. Because there, there is something within the story where we don't get a huge mention of it too much, but he 
there's a history between him and like his ex-girlfriend but that's like you know a very like small portion of the movie itself so i i watched this the second time and i, I liked it the first time and i was like maybe i hate it now maybe i just hate this movie and then i kept watching i'm like okay never mind no i'm back i'm back into like enjoying <laughs> yeah. it all right <laughs> but you're, yeah you're right yeah yeah i i really enjoyed um just the subtle nuances of the character and and how like people would just like run into him and you would just immediately see like action and reaction play off like immediately and just recurring like jokes and motifs of um like the skunk yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. all the I smell love- like what's that yeah. smell <laughs> hobo telling him he stinks so uh, kevin you were saying about the film and uh... <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yeah i forgot what we're what were we at too kevin you were speaking resume <laughs> <laughs> yes i will resume speaking <laughs> i oh another few influences that immediately took me i mean that uh that that kind of like got thrown in the mix was a, a huge great gatsby influence oh yeah like right out like just right up in there of because uh, i felt like sam was trying to step into the same river twice and like the entire movie he was just like dwelling in that um i hope that's not getting into too much spoiler territory but um <laughs> no but, i mean he, he, it's basically about grief i feel like this entire movie yeah or loneliness and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like trying to find meaning where it doesn't necessarily have to have meaning or connections there. It could just be a one-off thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because he, like we mentioned before, like he is in like the most depressive, the most like, uh, how do I describe it? Like he's really, um, he's extremely, uh, how do I describe him? He's so grungy and <laughs> like, wasn't there a word that was like floating around for a while? It was like grody or something. Grody, grody yeah. yeah. Wasn't that a word, word for a while? Yeah. <laughs> He's for sure grody. <laughs> like disheveled and just he <laughs> smells bad <laughs> all the time. Chain smoking cigarettes. Yeah. All that water bottle in the beginning. Yeah. Uh. So gross. And he somehow still gets laid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how is this guy getting laid? Yes. How is he attracting all these, like, uh, Hollywood actresses and, like, beautiful women? And then he looks at women as if, like, they're dogs, you know? Like, he's very, very misogynistic, sexist point of view. Although, like, he doesn't lean into it too heavily. But, like, there are some mm-hmm. scenes where... I didn't even pick up on that. The uh, first, yeah. inter- the first <clears throat> intercourse in, like, the first ten minutes is doggy stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. See, I got theories. We should just dive into these spoilers. Um, so yeah, uh, the movie is better left for people to watch it cold because we're going to get into a lot of like very specific details, and there's so many like subliminal messages and coding and just all these visual Easter eggs that yeah. you can miss out on. And yeah, like Pat- Patrick was mentioning, like you know, you know, even the Kurt Cobain reference that could just lead to nothing. You know, there's a lot of things that could just lead you to somewhere or lead you to nowhere. Um, so yeah, definitely watch this film. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, we're gonna get to spoilers now, so let's get jump right into it. Yes. Oh my god. Look. <laughs> 
guys where? It's a little late in the summer for fireworks, isn't it? Leftovers, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. I hate doing this. I feel like I do, like get this theory comes in my head an like a lot of movies, but like I'm like, what's half of this shit just like in his fucking head? I swear to God, dude. Like, because I just think like, why are all these same people at these parties? Um, and then like the whole dog treat thing with. It's like I feel like he was either the dog killer or he killed all those mm-hmm. all those people, and I seen that theory float around on Google, and the reason why I don't believe that's true or I disagree with that because the film, like what Kevin mentioned, is it's a neo noir, it's a comedy, but it's never like established as like this psychological drama or thriller about like he's seeing things, you know, because mm-hmm. everything is from his perspective, so it's not like. Shutter Island or something where like we know from the get-go it's a psychological drama about this man suffering from something right whereas like in this film we know when he has a dream sequence we know when he's like seeing things it's very explicit yeah yeah Yeah. so it's very on the nose with certain certain things so like I feel like people the reason why people want him to be the dog killer is because there is no answer to it And, and 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 there's and because a lot of the subplots don't lead anywhere people want answers so they're like oh yeah well he's a dog killer because he has dog treats but then we already have the answers to why he had the dog treats yeah and that's i think that's the answer for his fascination with the dog killer it's like uh it resonates with this character of like uh if we just kill all the dogs in the city everything will be better yeah it'll truly be great if i can get Mm -hmm. over the Mm ex-girlfriend her dog everything will be better it connects to the final thing Mm -hmm. i heard a theory where his girlfriend was the dog killer and that she murdered the dog, which is why it, he's like so hung up on because whenever he's talking to like certain women, like the dog, like he starts hearing the dogs barking and it brings up that trauma of his girlfriend killing the dog who he had like a very strong relationship with. Mm-hmm. So it's like him trying to process this breakup from both like the dog and his girlfriend and her having killed it. <laughs> See, this is why I like this movie so much. Though, there's just like so many different uh, mm-hmm. theories you can go with. Yeah, but it's not. It's not like an eyes wide shut of like, <laughs> do they take the kid away at the end? So, like that kind of conversation. <laughs> but like, I've seen like other things, like like when he's like. So there's like the scene when he meets. Uh, what's the daredevil guy's name? Uh, Sevenson or. Oh, yeah. oh, the millionaire, uh, mm-hmm. billionaire, uh, mm-hmm. yes, uh, Jefferson, or is it Jeff Sevenson or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like his daughter, he's in the Silver Lake with his daughter, mm-hmm. and she gets shot, mm-hmm. and like I caught this the second time watching it. Like she dies, like like when she gets shot underwater, she's like in the same exact position as That's like the, the fucking the magazine, the magazine yeah. model. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the Playboy. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I would like see like that thing right there. I was like, I feel like that's like, I mean, maybe I don't know. I'm like. That's just such a coincidence. I'm like, did that really happen? Was that a dream or did? I, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, then it. Yeah, that was not because that you're swaying me, Tyler. Cause that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a hard like, cut from that her body in the water and him in the water. Hard he cut. Still, he still had the bracelet though afterwards. Oh yeah, he did have the bracelet, and that's mm-hmm. what made me think. I'm like, oh, I don't know, but he could maybe he killed her. 
That's what I'm saying. Like, he looks at, like, the dog killer. He's not really a dog killer. He kills, like, these girls. Well, I guess or, like, if I'm going by the... <laughs> I think that if I'm going by uh, the director mentioning, like, Travis Bickle and the dude and uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character and Heron Vice mm-hmm. all being inspiration for this character, I would have to say that he's probably not the one who's doing all these, like, yeah. crazy killings and stuff i mean we've seen him punch a kid already so like you know that's probably as far as he's going and he's beat up like the lead singer of you know the dracula band or whatever um i don't know i feel like if he was doing some of it we would be seeing it you know um yeah yeah. i agree it's not explicit so we shouldn't assume it right away but i also see tyler's perspective yeah. like with all films you can interpret yeah yeah like top gun's the best homo erotic film or was it homo yeah, yeah yeah is it because of the volleyball scene yeah in like the 80s i wasn't i was like tapping to touch upon but like everyone was like hey top gun's rad <laughs> um but yeah i i don't that's like i think why i like the movie so much though it's mm-hmm. just like you can have like conversations like this. We're like, no, maybe he was the killer, or yeah. like the owl lady. Um, what was her name? The owl killer. Or, oh, the owl's yeah. kiss. The owl's kiss. Yeah. yeah. Like, was that all in his fucking head too? Did he just murder the fucking comic book writer? And I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he did. That that, that really went nowhere. That yeah, one that, really upset me. Yeah, that one I was confused by because then she ends up in his house too, and then just like disappears. Mm-hmm. Out of fucking thin air. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then we also have to talk about like the pirate, the, the the guy with the eye patch. Yeah, what was so his that, deal? So that went nowhere too, right? And was he the second Lynch character too? Wasn't that like Everett McGill or what's his name? Mm-hmm. I th- I think so. Yeah, there. It seemed like okay. That's like one of my criticisms with this movie. I mean, it was like mentioned earlier, but. I th- yeah, where you're saying, Pat, like how it leans a little bit too heavy on its influences to get its message across. I was like, dude, they're just like blatantly ripping off Lynch, like not only Mulholland Drive, but Twin Peaks. And especially with like the owls, kids, like the owl imagery and like all this other stuff. And oh. they even got the actor from fucking Mulholland Drive to be in it. Yeah, he's great. I love yeah. him. Like oh, he's yeah, great. Yeah, like he, he plays the author. Mm-hmm. And. And. Not only with Lynch, but, like, with Hitchcock and, like, all these other psychological thriller uh, influences. And I'm just like, dude, like, do your own thing. Like, yeah. come on. Well, like, I mean, it's, 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 gr- it's not the whole point of the movie, though, because the, the movie is really on the nose about loving classic Hollywood and, and some of the I, filmmakers that came from it. And even the Marilyn Monroe, like references to to like to sarah and her coming out of the pool and even the cinematography like that lights her face and stuff she's like this angelic figure you know now that you're saying this it reminds me of like what uh tarantino did with uh once upon a time in hollywood like it seems like an ode Mm -hmm. to a certain era of filmmaking like it's a it's a filmmaker's movie yeah um I, i feel like this movie is doing a better job at that at like being a love letter than Tarantino did for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but mm-hmm. this is my opinion though. So yeah, I I see what you guys are, like with the references and stuff, but I think there's such a compelling story. I know this is pre. I'm going back on the up scene, space <laughs> and stuff. 
But this is like a year before Epstein's suicide, air quotes. Uh, but there was a 2014 documentary I saw, like an open secret, which is about like the grooming of young boys by certain aspects of the Hollywood machine, mm-hmm. like photographers who like take illicit photos of young would be actors. Like, oh, we're doing, we're doing mock swimsuit photography stuff. And then like you go on eBay and there's like $120 prints for sale by those same photographers. And this was like a big thing happening for like this guy had a career of 12 years or more. Whoa. And he's still not like held accountable because it's not considered explicit, but it's just in 2014, there was a great documentary about like the, we know again, the Kurt Cobain thing, like we know this, we know about these conspiracies to a certain aspect. We know about these corruptions, this aimless feeling we all have. And the film could, I think the film could have like done a perfect, like referential, like old Hollywood pastiche this is our inspirations this is what we miss this is what the beauty of hollywood and then just go harder on not the gore but just like more explicit of like not make it less mysterious and like kind of a diversion it felt like a diversion conspiracy everything felt like a worse than a real conspiracy conspiracy like the the music man and all the other stuff is just like no there's real conspiracies we can talk about there's or there's real stuff you could bring attention to or just even like touch upon the real gross stuff that is really happening and juxtapose it with like the beauty idealized Hollywood. And it doesn't do that. It like creates the owl's kiss where it's kind of like, and then it creates the dog killer. Uh, it's messages about the homeless are pretty weird. Uh, yeah, just a lot of mixed it's messages and philosophies just didn't feel in the right place. It's very like jumbled. Like, just, like, a handful of shit, and they just all threw it in there, and they're like, this will be tight, this will be tight, this will be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, no, I think you're right about that, Tyler. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's why I feel like this movie is about everything, and it's about nothing, because you can take certain elements about the movie and say, oh, yeah, this has such a deeper meaning, and somebody else can say, oh, I don't think so. You mm-hmm. know, it can be disputed, and there's a lot of things that don't end up anywhere, you know? Um I mean, even like the final confrontation with Sarah, like I feel like he already got his answer when she left from um, the building manager, where he he was uh, asking him like, why did she leave out of nowhere? And he's like, well, maybe it's because she didn't like you. And I'm just like, that's the answer right there. Yeah, she didn't like him enough to to stay, you know, to um, not want to go underground and to have you know that harem, it's like but- a harem lifestyle. You know, the vampires sucking the life out of these, like, you know, Hollywood actresses or these young models, you know, these young, yeah. That that sucks so bad. The final, like, tomb Egyptian reference Mm -hmm. sarcophagus thing, that drove me so crazy. (laughs) With, and then, like, you referenced the Travis Bickle, like, inspirations, like, an amalgamation of characters. Mm -hmm. Where it's, like, again, like, the philosophy or the messaging is, like, if you're gonna like point to the capital machine and how it propagates like what we believe to be cultural phenomenons or like artistic expressions. And it's really just capital being grown through Kurt Cobain who like took his own life. And there's the conspiracy around that. He has a gun. He's in the middle of like nowhere. It's implied there could be consequences. Mm-hmm. But like for me of like, if I'm watching someone who's like, he's not, I wouldn't say he's the lowest of the low of society. He's like above homeless he- people. I, I think, well, because, okay, he's about to be evicted. He has no job. He's, he smells terrible. <laughs> he's, he's really depressed. He's, 
But there's a lot worse stuff than be living in LA. Probably. Well, I mean, yeah. he becomes homeless at the end. He he becomes a home, he becomes a thing that he very much hated. Like he talked down about homeless people and like he just I don't know. Like he's I, getting there. He's yeah. getting there. He's on I the way he, down. He's definitely on the on the fringes, he's, or he's already there. Yeah. But yeah, he has a he has a this is towards the end. But he has a gun, and he has the. The objects of his oppression, his oppressors, the rich, the hyper-rich, the mm-hmm. transcendent conspiracy is going to lift our souls to a higher plane mm-hmm. that's only allowed for rich people. And for me, my lowest, my low-class hero, my hero of the people is like, you're not going to ascend because I'll just kill you right here. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm but taking that, one back for the little man. But that would be murder, though. Like, what, what did they do to get shot? Well, it's the, the whole thing of, like, the, if the nihilist message of the machine is ran by the machine itself and there's no controlling it. Mm-hmm. I want the hero or the protagonist to spit in the face of the machine at the very least mm-hmm. and to, like face the consequences after. And then like, no, he just calls Sarah and then he gets her message with her and then he leaves. So go, go full, uh, parasite 20, 2019. <laughs> 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 I was just like, shoot him. <laughs> Sure. But that, that that basically would be like a similar ending. I feel. Yeah, but they right. killed they killed like three people. It's like it's all him killing them. They've killed like multiple people. He's connected to, and mm. it's like there's like a machine automation he can't defeat. So he's gonna be complacent and then, in it and just shrink back to the lower leg of society, or he's gonna make a statement and one radical action that only he may even know about. Mm-hmm. So do you guys think, like, the songwriter scene, do you think he actually killed the songwriter, or do you think it was a dream? Oh, yeah, yeah I, I think he did, yeah. 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 I forgot about that. He fucking bashed his face yeah. in. I, I <laughs> think... Kurt could tell <laughs> Because I think all the people that died are, like, a part of, like, the elite, right? I think, except maybe... The author? The author, yeah. Doesn't the, uh, the guy who hosts uh, auditions, too, like... Like the first hour of the film when he's walking down the street and all those girls. Are oh yeah, yeah, doesn't that guy die too or gets killed? Uh, or it says like beware the dog killer, like mm-hmm. it says oh, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he and he's like central, like right, you know, in the center of that mm-hmm. graffiti or whatever. But yeah, that's why I'm like, he could have just killed all these people, man. It could have been his ass. You brought up the music guy. At the end, too, at the end of the movie, too, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like the, when he's laying in bed with like his neighbor, the old chick, like the parrot, mm-hmm. like it sounds like the parrot saying murderer. It's like murderer. It kind of sounds like the well, parrot saying murderer, and he and he like has like a weird expression on his face as, and they talk about they're talking about what she thinks the parrot is saying, and she's like, I don't know what he's. What the parrot's saying. I, I read some comments online. Some people are Whoa. saying, like, I'm telling you, like, go back and listen to it. It sounds like the parrot is saying murder. Some people are saying, uh, it's saying Hollywood. Either Hollywood. I, I thought I heard it saying who's that or what's that or something. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, it could be murder too. It's We're going to have to play it back, like, in the yeah, in this episode and yeah. have people, like, give their opinion. So. <laughs> Zoom enhance on that audio. <laughs> it's saying the horror. The horror. That's <laughs> horrible movie reference. <laughs> no, he killed the musician. Again, to the philosophy. Mm-hmm. He kills the musician who's, in a way, an artist connected to the, the phenomenons of, that are, mar- are corrupted by capitalism. Capital. He kills him for like being a betrayer of that system, but then he lets the rich people who are going to extend in their 
Haley's Comet scenario. Mm. He lets them live. It's just like the philosophy's wrong. Or like it feels like the film's reinforcing like there's certain people who are touchable and certain people who aren't touchable, even in films. Where it's like yeah, in films, it's the only place you could probably touch. <laughs> yeah, and like you should. even that conversation that he was having with um his. I'm not sure what her relationship was to him, but was she like a escort girl or like? Oh, um, you're talking about the actress. Or yeah, 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 the actress. I think that's his girlfriend. Oh, it's that was girlfriend. what? No, that's like yeah, his, or like he's seen thought her. It was like it's... yeah, friends with benefits at least. The one uh, at the okay, start. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. There's like a the comedy doesn't land always in that film, but that was a good one where she just shows up in like different. <laughs> in like, the leader host. Like, <laughs> she shows up in like different like fetish porn. <laughs> oh, I see. She's like taking care of him and like all this other stuff. I, mean, I, I, I feel like universe. yeah, they're like seeing each other, or dating each other, or something. I think they're just like banging because but, then he meets. I'm pretty sure he meets his ex at like the third party right, he goes to, right? When right. She's with her fiance or whatever, and then there's like, a clear like emotional, yeah, like um, resentment there, like oh shoot, you know. But but the conversation that they have, like, right after he gets sprayed with the skunk and he's, like, in the tomato bath, mm-hmm. like, that's the first time that you start seeing him become really animated about, like, just how crazy or just how delusional this person has become with all these um, yeah, patterns like that they're seeing. I forget, some Grace Kelly or somebody's head movement. Yeah, like, during the uh, the Miss Amer- was it the Miss America contest or something? Like? Mm-hmm. It was like one of those contests. But that was Wheel of Fortune. Am I insane? Oh, it might have been that. I think it, it was. It probably was a head. But um, yeah, and then he's like, and then he finally gets to it all. He's like, oh well, do you think that there's like a certain language or a certain code or something that is only visible to the elite, mm-hmm. and that you know it's impossible for us to see it and everything like that and. I feel like this goes in line with what Pat was talking about, where it's like you get these untouchable or these untouchable people, like this group who devises all of these schemes that are just constantly beneath the surface, where they have their fingers in everything, mm-hmm. and then if they want, they can. I mean, they can. It's like free reign for them. And I, like right when he was talking about this, it made me start thinking about like all these. I mean, basically like the inner crime ring of Hollywood with like like what Pat was saying earlier with Weinstein and who knows, like countless how many other people. And it reminded me of what Eyes Wide Shut was trying to do, which um, there's, I mean, that's like opening a can of worms. I I only open like the lid just a tiny (laughs) bit, but like um, I remember like a lot of people were speculating at the time that Kubrick was trying to shed some light on the inner pedophile ring that was going on. Mm -hmm. And Although he couldn't do it like outright, he it was very blatant what he was saying with that movie, and I don't know. I shouldn't get into spoilers with that movie for anyone who's seen who who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it. But that movie fucked me up for <laughs> like a week after. Like it shifted my entire like perspective on everything. But um, like Pat was saying, where. Um, you know, you wish that they had been a bit more explicit with it, or at least had a bit more confidence to tackle the issues that it was bringing up instead of uh, raising an issue, letting it just linger beneath the surface, and then only to like watch it float down again, and then find something else that's floating up to the surface. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, grab that, grab it out of there. Like, mm-hmm. it does then, connect to like the nihilist message. It feels like the film has a whole, but like, it feels like I think nihilism and the certain like. Is it Hintinger aspects? Like the full on like nothing matters nihilism. That that and the 
subliminal messaging and like the whole like ads and sexualizations and ads mm. like that feels like grade school level stuff man like come on like that's like right that's when you first get introduced yeah. to nihilism oh <laughs> uh, yeah and then like that's like your first conspiracy theories like look at the coke ads look at the ads here look at this who killed kurt cobain like no real stuff is like ian black pmc industrial complex all that crazy stuff <laughs> why are there like former blank agents harassing the victims of Spacey and then they plead the fifth and refuse to go to trial and all this other crazy stuff. <laughs> like, no, 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 we're operating on this level now. Then the film's like beneath that, it feels. It's like, I wanted to rise up to that. That's a very valid point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes to a lot of movies on this podcast, that's, that's usually one of the biggest criticisms of most movies. It's like, you could have gone harder yeah. in terms of like what you were trying to say, like have a bit more confidence when you're trying to say this message and like really hone in on the details because it's like when you're able to do that, then you're able to fully, you know, um, you're able to fully digest all of the content that's available in that area. And it gets you to start thinking about new things, like especially with the nihilistic aspect of this movie, like, I can imagine that some people would walk away from it and be like, oh, well, you know, you're fucked either or. Um, you're born into it. There's nothing that you can do to escape it. Uh, might as well just be content with where you're at. But it's like, no, you can't. Like, you can't just give into that. you got to constantly be aware of this stuff. And he had the gun. He had the gun. <laughs> he had the power in that scene. <laughs> but he drank the tea. <laughs> Why did he drink the tea? What is he, stupid? <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. I thought um, Andrew Garfield was really great in this movie, performance-wise. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I, I uh, agree as well. He definitely um, helped carry the movie. Like, it made the movie very entertaining and engaging. And I think that if you're not with him, then you're going to get bored and you're not going to like some of the other stuff. Like, you know, uh, Topher Grace is in the movie as his friend. And, you know, I, I like some of their... He had some really good lines. <laughs> like, some really good one-liners. Oh, my bad. That's me. Um Oh man, but that scene where uh, he was flying the drone. Oh, Oh, that drone scene was great, but like it was awful. It was just like, dang, it made me. That was like a very, to me, it was a pretty powerful scene. Like they're they're supposed to be objectifying this person, but then she's just like sitting there crying because who knows what happened to her? You know, she's some kind of model, or I don't know what she went through. But dang, you know, it's meant to like be this entertaining like ooh, we're gonna be a creep we're gonna be voyeuristic and we're gonna get off on this but then it doesn't let you get satisfied yeah. i like that that it did that um and yeah but like even the yeah the the model lady who comes home and she's clearly distraught about something and we we sub- our expectations are subverted when Eric from that semi show is like, whoa, 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 let's yeah. use my government surveillance technology to yeah. peep on girls. This is real window <laughs> in the modern context. Mm-hmm. And then she shows up and she's like horribly traumatized. And like, yeah. it's, it's there. It's there, but it's not there. It's like, I want Chinatown, but modern. <laughs> I want someone to shout he owns the police before shooting some rich guy in the arm and then trying to drive away. <laughs> I want that level of, like, yeah. Even, I think, again, Chinatown, like, the... Shit. Can we spoil that? But the ending's not uplifting. Well, uh... Yeah, spoilers. Um... This place, yeah, but I feel like I, a lot of people haven't seen Chinatown, oh, no. Oh, shit. Yeah, you can't. Yes. I won't oh. listen back to 
I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. And, but, and Chat, Chat, Chinatown's a good movie, so I feel like it shouldn't be spoiled. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but <laughs> it ends on a similar feeling, but it feels a lot more earned because like they are illuminating what they feel is their challenging mm-hmm. stuff, and then they're regressing to like this is how reality is, well, though. Except I feel like Chinatown is way more nihilistic as opposed to this film where I feel like Sam is kind of like embracing his situation. Like he's finally moved on from that place that he was staying in and then he's migrated over. Whether or not he wanted to keep staying in there yeah. or not. Like he pulled yeah. that evicted from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's moved on, but he's still very much a cog in the postmodern existence. Mm-hmm. Oh for sure. Which is like yeah. the only yeah, it's like yeah, how do you defeat that? But I understand like the Chinatown reference because they're stumbling upon a territory that they're never meant to go, you know? And I, and I like that aspect. Well, like, Chinatown feels like it goes there mm-hmm. more okay. so than this film does. But it's hard to compare other films to Chinatown. It's a little unfair, but yeah. I'm aware of that. And I want to touch on Kevin's thing. Like, the cinematography in this is pretty good. Like, when we, mm-hmm. we've watched films where, like, our feedback is always, like, we wish they would have pushed something more or done something here more. And I think that's, like, just reflective of, like, every film is still goddamn, like, shot by professionals. It's We're not watching The Room. We're not watching anything, like, horrible, horrible. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the cinematography, like, it was a roller coaster. Like, sometimes it felt, like, really elevated and bold. And other mm-hmm. times it was, like, the green screen was distracting. And, yeah, it's like, we haven't mentioned the cinematography. But, like, yeah, it's, I thought it was, like, competent in some areas and then pretty good in some other areas. Oh, yeah, I thought it was really great when there were, like, there was a ton of people all in one room when the camera's like weaving around like i love that when it shows off like how well done the the design and the set is yeah i think that's when it's at at its strongest i liked it because it it felt hollywood without being hollywood yeah it felt very hollywood the whole time for me (laughs) I think I think from a production aspect, like this is just purely like technically or on a technical mm-hmm. like area of speaking. I think it had enough like had enough DIY aspect to it, even though it was not an independent movie. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just felt it felt more grounded than I had originally thought it was going to be. Like I, even though the movie itself, like the themes and like where it goes, feels incredibly fantastical at times. Like in terms of atmosphere, especially with all the the inflation of conspiracies and like just the world itself and like you know the town of Silver Lake and seeing it on that little treasure map, and it just like elevates like the mythos of this place. To the point where, once again, like, I'm bringing up a reference um, of, like, Twin Peaks. It's like, here you have, like, this small town, and there's, like, a a subtle, like, permeating, like, layer of mist that just, like, encapsulates every single person in it, whether or not they're aware of it or not. And then here we have Sam, who is awakening to, like, oh, he's, like, seeing this, but he doesn't quite know what it is or how it correlates with his own life and his own place in this society, yeah, there's no there's no scene where someone points at a sign on a map, and someone goes, "What is that?" I say, "You don't want to know what that is." It's like <laughs> a five minute scene. There's no none of that where he's lining up stuff. But I see what you're saying, but it doesn't have this. To me, it didn't have the same weight. But it was good to see the interweaving of like the the map from the little 
box of cereal in like 60s in the Nintendo yeah it lines up perfectly (laughs) oh that's pretty okay I gotta respect that like someone made that I I heard that they uh, I heard that they hired like a computer linguist or something or some coder or something someone that helps them like figure out like all the all the subliminal messages in the coding in the movie because there are like like even the dolls that uh, are in um, Sarah's room uh, they had like little like codes, codes under, them, yeah. under the names, yeah. And I heard they had to hire somebody to help them like, do all that stuff on purpose because people are going to pause the frames and like read into it, you know, and try to find the meaning. So I thought they did a really great job doing that. And um, I don't think we talked about Riley Keogh as Sarah. I thought she was really good. Um, yeah, I think she represents like. The modern day like Instagram model or whoever, like someone who's like stalking them and like, who, you know, she go, she'll give someone like a time, you know, five minutes of their day and suddenly they're going to stalk her everywhere on her social media or something. I feel like this movie is low key about like social media surveillance and stuff. Yeah. And she feels like the postmodern woman or like the, again, like Sam's the cog in the machine at the end mm-hmm. when she's like literally buried by the rich guy's wealth she's attached herself to and she's like do you think i made a mistake and they just both like they don't have like the guts to like try to shake each other free of that system mm-hmm. and they're just very complacent in it and, oh yeah I'll, I'll let you die in your sarcophagus with the rich guy mm-hmm. i'm gonna go just try to live like this yeah i thought that was very touching i didn't expect it to be a powerful moment yeah. watching it the second time and I like that there wasn't that much to be said between them. Like, there wasn't this huge monologue from from either of them. And it's, everything's left um, in subtext, you know, in their expressions. And I don't know. Like, I feel like she made her decision and she's just going to live with it yeah. based on her their interaction. Here, Tyler? Oh, I was, I, I was going to say, I feel like it's... To me, it felt like pretty clear that she didn't want to do it or made a mistake. Really? I don't know. Like, remember when she kicks him out of his house and like the fireworks are going off? Right. And she's right. just acting like so weird, like right, like staring at the fireworks, like looking scared. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Uh, why? Yeah. It's like, did she ever even have a choice? That's where you can read into the code thing of, like, were the fireworks a message to her? Because I think Sam's character makes remarks, like, why the hell are fireworks going off now? Mm-hmm. Above our apartment complex, essentially. Mm. And she has a grim look on her face. I guess that, that is a good point that you brought up. I forgot about that scene. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you're right. I guess, like, now we have to question, like, this, does she have autonomy or agency over her life? Like, mm-hmm. it can, you know, like you said, like, she escaped these rich millionaire moguls you know like i don't know like when you're there once you're there are you just trapped is that what the movie is saying like it feels like uh, it felt like that's what it was saying but it's one of those things like this is a movie mm-hmm. if there's anywhere that doesn't have to happen it could be in a movie right yeah that's why i'm like come on man come on I mean, the Silver Silver Lake in that world, it does feel mystical. I mean, they, we have these urban legends, you know, the dog killer and the owl's kiss. Like, obviously, this is, like, very fantastical, like you mentioned earlier, Kevin. Um, 
like balloon girl, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very eccentric idea to have a character who's just signified by her having balloons. <laughs> that's where yeah. like, oh, that's a film reference to the red balloon as well as like, like innocence lost. Oh, mm-hmm. is she about this? Like you can see her do it all day and I, I'd like to, but <laughs> <laughs> the film doesn't, the film doesn't go there. It leaves us to go there. And I'm already crazy enough. I want to be more crazy in the film, so just give me some catharsis <laughs> killing the rich people already. God damn it. <laughs> no, yeah. I uh, I did like her at first, and then she gets inter- interwoven to the plot, and it's mm-hmm. kind of... I started losing the narrative of the deep state allegory, and then it just, by the end, it felt fantastical, where I guess you couldn't really fight it. But yeah. Anyway, um, let's give our ratings for the movie because we did not do our ratings because we've been gone for so long. Oh, yeah. We didn't do that <laughs> before the spoilers. Uh, so let's give our ratings and then just kind of um, yeah, end the episode there with our lasting impressions. So who wants to go first? I'll give this movie a 3.75 because I, on a purely entertainment or on a purely entertaining level, I, I enjoyed watching the movie just because it was fun to watch. And I don't really say that about a lot of movies. Um, and yeah, it was great to just be able to sit through something and just experience for it for what it was and not know anything about it. Like, I feel like I get so caught up in that sometimes where it ends up ruining some movies for me. Where it's like, oh, wow, that camera movement was really cool. Or, oh, the colors in this look great. Or the sound design is beautiful. It's like... I don't want to be aware of that stuff. Like, I just want to watch a movie and just watch a story and be immersed in it. And I applauded it because it just seemed like it was just made purely for fun, if anything, and purely for the joy of filmmaking and just for creating. And I have to applaud the people who worked on the movie for that alone. And aside from that, um, criticisms, I feel like it didn't have enough weight to it. Um, like I, I enjoyed the stuff that it was bringing up, but I feel like it's just like raising a mirror up to society and be like, "Whoa, look at this! Look at this! Isn't this crazy?" And then it just turns it like it just changes the angle a little bit to where it like just diverts the attention as well. And I don't know. I was just hoping that there would be like some sort of um, resolution or a way out, I should say to some of the problems, because it's like, it's, it's like, yeah, we get it. It's cool to be reminded of, like, problems in the world, but, like, Nothing what do you, happened. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> all you're doing is just, like, showing us, like, a dead body on the ground. It's like, okay, how are we going to, like, prevent this stuff from happening in the future? It's like, okay, great. Oh, there's nothing. Oh, okay. Like, it's just going to keep happening. Oh, okay, cool. And, but other than that, like, <laughs> 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 yeah, 3.75. Yeah, you pretty much, like, that's, I'll give it, like, a 4.25, because that's, like, I think that's why I like the movie so much, it's, like, it's just, like, a fun movie to watch, entertaining, that you could just, like, anybody could watch this movie, you don't have to be, like, a film geek, I feel like, like, anyone can enjoy this movie, but then also, like, we could also talk about this movie for, like, for hours or whatever, about whatever theories, conspiracies, um, they bring shit up you know, problems, but then don't really, you know, go for it all the way. And that's kind of, I think the main problem we've all had with it, but, but it's still, uh, 
I don't know. It was just, yeah, it's just fun to watch. Like it's an enjoying, it's a, it's a good entertaining experience. And I really like to score. I just love like that noir, um, feel. Uh, I'll give it a 2.5 for my criticisms about how my brain is rotten with conspiracies and all other <laughs> stuff. So the movie didn't leave up, live up to my expectations, but I do got to give it credit for like Tyler just mentioned the film does accomplish creating something that we could sit around and talk about for a long time. And just, I feel like that would be a better experience than the film. Yeah. Which I think is an accomplishment of the film itself where it doesn't want to take the center stage and hopes you can share the film with friends and then have those discussions. And I can also poison your guys' minds. <laughs> uh, I'm going to change my rating now that I've heard Pat speak. <laughs> um, as for me, I'll give the movie a, a 3.5. Um, yeah, I thought it was entertaining as well. I I feel like the reason why this movie bombed at the box office because as entertaining and as ambitious as it is, it is all over the place and is very jumbled. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to sell this movie when there are a lot of plot lines that don't really go anywhere and that's going to really um, turn off a lot of people. And the fact that Andrew Garfield is playing this character who where a lot of people are in the mainstream consciousness are used to seeing him as like Spider-Man, this wholesome character. And then they see this grungy, dirty, like sex addicted guy, <laughs> you know, we follow him. Uh, I mean, I personally would have loved to see Spider-Man like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, no, I love all the entire cast was great. Um, yeah. I even like, uh, Jimmy Simpson, I think that's his name from It's Always Sunny. He was in it for like a couple scenes. He was really uh, entertaining. Um, yeah, I like the balloon girl, uh, Grace Van Patten. I thought she did great. And, uh, you know, all the people that just popped in and out of the movie. Um, yeah, I feel like this is one of those like hidden gems. I feel like people are going to come back to 10, 15 years down the line and be like, oh, yeah, this is really great love slash hate letter to Hollywood and has, and you don't have to understand all the uh, classic Hollywood references. You can kind of just watch it. But if you do understand the references, that's just all the more like for you, you know, that the experience will only be enriched. So, yep. 3.5 out of five. Cool. So with that being said, I think we have concluded our episode. So thank you for tuning in for our 25th episode. And uh, I believe next week we are going to have Patrick decide our next film. So we can't wait for that. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, glad we got here with our updates. And um, yeah, I'm, again, I'm your co-host, Richard, and I'm signing off. Peace out.
Are you at work? Uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of a busy day. Oh, I wanted to tell you, Seventh Heaven is playing on TCM tonight. Mom, <laughs> I don't have cable. Oh, shoot, that's too <laughs> bad. It's a great Janet Gaynor movie from 1927. She's your, one of your favorites, right? Janet Gaynor? Yes. Since I was a little girl, I've always admired her. So talented and beautiful. Yeah. Well, I better get back to work. Okay. I'm giving you a big hug over the phone. Okay. Love you. I love you. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.